This morning, I'm going to ask you to do something with me. I'm going to ask you to leave here. Uh, we're not going to get on an airplane. I can't take you there this morning. I wish I could. Had a group of people there a few days ago. But I'm going to ask you to go in your mind, in your imagination, around the world, the nation of Israel. And when you get there, you'll have to go back in time 2,000 years. So we're going to have to take quite a journey this morning. And I want you to sit on a mountain outside of the city. It's a high mountain. The vista is amazing. You can see in every direction, as far as the eye can see. And I'd like you to sit down there. There's a lot of people. Now, this is a great crowd. This is a great crowd. But you've never seen a multitude like this multitude. They've come from everywhere. And the man they've come to listen to is not, it's not me. It's the greatest preacher that ever lived. It's the one they used to say, never a man spake like this man. It's the Lord Jesus. And they're going to hear on that mountain one afternoon the most famous sermon in the history of the world. A lot of famous sermons. Uh, Jonathan Edwards preached sinners in the hands of an angry God. I'm thinking now of lots of famous sermons that I've read and heard. But if you had to boil it all down and say, what was the great sermon? Somebody say, oh, that's the Sermon on the Mount, first recorded sermon of the Lord Jesus and really the foundation of everything else he wanted to teach. And you find it in your Bible in the gospel according to Matthew. Would you open the word of God with me this morning to Matthew chapter number 5? If you were in the Bible study hour, we laid a little foundation for this and just got a little entry point. But I want to bring you to where Jesus began. In verse 2, he opened his mouth and taught them saying. So we're going to start right where Jesus started. This is the beginning of it all. Interestingly enough, he starts with the invitation. Now we have this idea that when you, when you preach, when you get to the end, then you give an invitation. Jesus flipped the thing. Somebody said he didn't give an invitation. Yes, he did. He started with the invitation, the very first Words out of his mouth, the very first verse of a whole sermon is Christ's beginning invitation. And for the record, when I finish preaching in just a very few moments, I intend to ask every person in this room that is breathing to respond to the invitation. How many of you are breathing? Would you raise your hand, please? Good. If your neighbor's not, check on them, would you? They didn't raise their hand. So if you're alive, I'm talking to you. Look, Jesus wasn't speaking to some of these people. He was speaking to all of these people. I didn't come to preach to a handful of people. I came to preach to every person in this room. Because look, please, God has something he wants to say to every one of us, and you cannot be neutral on the Lord's truth. And so here's what he said. Verse number three. What's the first word, church? Would you read it with me? Ready? Blessed. <laughs> How many of you think that's a nice way to start? Let's take a survey. How many of you would like God's blessing on your life? How many of you want the Lord to bless your family? Children, grandchildren, sure. How many of you want God's blessing on this church, all you members of this church? Of course. How many of us would love to see God's great blessing continue on our nation? Yes? Sorry, you can't have it. can't have it that way. See, our fast food Instagram have it now society has created the idea that you can somehow skip the process and get the product. And I want to tell you this morning, on the authority of the Word of God, you can't do that. I don't care how much you want it, how much you ask for it, if you're not willing to come God's way, you cannot have God's blessing. So he begins with a goal. He takes you all the way to the end. He says, look, this is what I have for you. 
Sin brings the curse. Jesus brings the blessing. But he said, if you're going to have it, you've got to have it my way. Look at verse number 3. In fact, let's read the whole verse out loud together. You have it? Matthew 5, verse number 3. Ready? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Read it again, would you please? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Turn to the person next to you. You can't look at me, all right? Get your Bible. Turn to the person next to you. I want you to read it to that center next to you, all right? And look, I'm serious, serious. Look at them and read it, or I'm going to make you come to the platform and read it, all right? So let's try it together. If it helps, point at that center. It'll help you read it with more enthusiasm, okay? Here we go. Ready? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You did good. Turn to the center on the other side and tell them. Ready? Here we go. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Look at me and say it. Ready? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm brainwashing you. That's what I'm doing this morning, all right? It's a good brainwashing. It's the water of the word of God. And this is where it all starts. I'm speaking this morning on the blessing of poverty. <laughs> For the record, I'm not talking about money. In fact, it has nothing to do with money. <laughs> Only as spoiled Americans would think when you think riches and poverty, it has to be money. I was raised in the mountains of West Virginia. And we saw a little poverty growing up, not a lot. When I was about... Ah, 21, 22 years of age. I went outside the continent of the United States for the very first time. I went on a mission trip to Ghana, West Africa. <laughs> that was an eye-opening experience for a boy who grew up on Sand Branch Road. And it was the first time I had ever seen real poverty. It was the first time I ever saw open sewers running through a city. It was the first time I ever had little children come up to me and ask me for food. It affected me deeply. Truth is, we're all spoiled. The poorest among us, only God knows who that is, but the poorest among us materially has more than most of this world has. How many of you have eaten in the last 24 hours? Multiple times. Already thinking about what you're going to eat when I stop preaching. Isn't that right? You had more than... Two outfits to choose from what you're going to put on this morning. You've got shoes on your feet, a roof over your head. I mean, we have so much stuff that somehow we've started thinking that's the riches. Adrian Rogers said, you want to find out how rich you are, add up everything money can't buy and death can't take away. See, the true riches are not things. The true riches are the things that outlive this world. And here stands Jesus, a carpenter from Nazareth. Here stands a man living in poverty, but he wasn't really poor. He was the richest man that had ever walked the earth because he carried in him all the riches of heaven. All of God poured into this this man that's speaking these words, listen to his words. I wish I could read it like he said it. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was all about blessing. The first word of his first sermon, Matthew chapter 5, is blessed. 
And it's, and it's an amazing word. The word that is used here is actually a double word. In the language of the day, what they would have heard was him saying, blessed, blessed. Now, not just a little blessing, a whole lot of blessing. Not just enough blessing to get by, to survive. No, no, superabounding blessing. Blessing that the world cannot give you and circumstances cannot take away. That's what the divine blessing is. And that's the first word out of the Son of God's mouth. Did you ever notice how he left them? You read sometime Luke chapter number 24, you get a picture of the ascension of Christ. He takes them on a mountain, another mountain outside of Jerusalem. He ascends back into heaven. Anybody ever pay any attention to how he left them? The Bible says when he left them, look up here please, when he ascended, his hands were raised and he was blessing them. The last posture they saw Jesus in was this posture, and he was praying the blessing over them. Look, look, please. They were looking at nail-pierced hands of the risen Son of God rising up into the clouds, and what is he doing? He's blessing them. Could I suggest to you that's exactly what he's doing at this moment? At this moment, in the right hand of the throne, what's Jesus doing? He's praying for us. He ever lives making intercession for us. What's he praying for? Oh, please don't miss this. Satan comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. He's a thief and a liar and a murderer. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Why did Christ come and why is he praying? What is his great purpose? It is this. He wants to bring all of God's blessing into your life. And Peter stood up in Acts chapter 3 and preached one of the great sermons of Scripture and talked about Jesus, and he said that God sent Jesus to bring to you the blessing by turning you from your iniquities. Do you understand that sin turns you away from the blessing and only Jesus brings you into the blessing? And so when you come to Matthew chapter number 5, what is God's great message to us? Look, please, here's the key. Keys unlock, right? Keys open the door. Here's the key that opens the door to all of heaven's blessing in your life. Would you like to know what it is? It's not what you think. It's not the message of some prosperity gospel. <laughs> it's not what you're going to hear probably on television. No, no, listen to Jesus. Don't even listen to me. I don't care if you even know my name. I want you to listen to Jesus this morning. Jesus who came from heaven to earth said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And let's ask and answer a couple questions. Number one, who gets the blessing? That's a legitimate question. Who gets it? <laughs> is it the preacher that gets the blessing? Is it the people that stay in church all their life and, and win Bible trivia every time they play and know the most Bible? Is that who gets the blessing? Mm -mm. He said the beggars get it. Literally, look at the verse. Would you look at the verse? He literally says, blessed are the beggars. In fact, did you know the word poor here is the exact same word that is used to describe that, that beggar Lazarus? Remember that beggar Lazarus Jesus told the story about? It's the exact, same, the exact same word. And we don't like to think of ourselves as beggars, do we? No, we got something. We know something. We've done something. We are somebody. And therein lies the real problem. Because God is always trying to bring us to the end of ourselves. I'm going to tell you why people go to hell. People go to hell because they think they're enough. Full of themselves. Oh, hold on, Christians. 
I'm going to tell you why we don't have revival. Because we think we've got this thing figured out. We're so full of us. You want to know when people get saved? I'm going to tell you when people get saved. People get saved when they finally come to the end of themselves and stop fighting God and say, Lord, I got nothing. And heaven applauds. And the Lord says, good. I've been waiting on you to get there for a while. I'm going to tell you when, when backslidden Christians get thoroughly right with God, when they, when they stop having enough Christianity for people to think they're all right or to appease their own conscience, and instead they come and fall humbly, broken and repentant before God and say, dear God, I'm a mess. And the Lord says, good, I can take care of this for you. But they have to come to the end of themselves. And here's the beautiful truth. Look, sin will bring you to a dead end. It'll bring you to a wall. God doesn't do that. God always brings you to an open door because the end of you is the beginning of him. You want the blessing? Then you must be a beggar. It's a humiliating thing, isn't it? You know what poverty, you know what poverty implies? Dependence. You depend on somebody to feed you, depend on somebody to clothe you, depend on somebody to house you, depend on somebody to take care of you. Somebody says, well, I'm a self-made person. I've worked hard. And and that's exactly the problem because it's all about you. And you don't know any of God's real blessing because you have the best man can accomplish instead of the best God can give. You never enter in to all of the divine blessing until first you come to the end of yourself. We're coming right back here. Hold your place in Matthew 5. Take a little trip with me just for a second. Turn to your right a few pages and come to Matthew chapter number 19. I told the church earlier this morning, I've been kind of living in the gospel records. I came to this passage this week. I don't know why. I've read it hundreds of times. It just jumped off the page at me. Look at Matthew 19, verse 23. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't say a rich man can't be saved. He just says it's a very hard thing and it becomes increasingly difficult. Why? Because they are trusting their riches instead of realizing their poverty. See, we think it's hard to make a poor man rich. I tell you, it's hard to get a rich man poor. Because after a while, people start thinking, I got this thing figured out. I know that already. Listen to me. It is only as you come to nothing that you come to God's everything. When you come to Calvary, to the divine stock exchange, the only thing that gets traded there are worthless things. You don't stretch your way into the presence of a holy God and bring him your best and impress God with what you've said or done or what you promised to do. You come as a pauper, as a beggar, as a poor man, and you say, dear God, I have nothing, but I'm trusting you for everything. And at that moment, you become the heir of the kingdom of God Almighty. Not through your riches, but through your poverty into his riches. William Carey the father of modern missions, a man that we tout as one of the great heroes of the faith and mightily used of God. When he died, he left very explicit instructions for his burial, for his memorial. And on his memorial, it says nothing about what he accomplished, nothing about what he did, nothing about what he wrote, nothing about where he ministered, nothing about that. It says one thing. He chose the words of an old hymn And here's what's under William Carey's name. A wretched, poor, and helpless worm. On thy kind arms I fall. Our problem is we don't want to admit the fact that we too are wretched, poor, helpless worms. 
And without God, we're nothing. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. May I say that every man and every woman and every young person in this room listening to me right now, including the man speaking to you, needs one thing. We must come to the end of ourselves God resists the proud but gives grace unto the humble. I don't know about you. I don't want God to hold me at arm's length. I want to get as close to God as I possibly can. I want to be as right with God as I possibly can. Well, God is near the humble. God is near the contract. God is near the broken. Look, please. When you get poor, God brings his riches. He wrote to one of the churches in Revelation and said, you know what your problem is? You think you are rich. He wrote to a bunch of rich people in the book of James and said, you've nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. Dear God, deliver us from thinking that we are somehow self-sufficient or, or even as bad, dependent on some other human being to provide for us. Look, please, I don't need me and I don't need you. I need Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus because the blessing of Christ only comes to those who recognize the poverty of their own life. Keep turning. You're, you're turning, right? Keep turning to Luke for just a minute. Look at Luke chapter 1. In this amazing passage where Mary is about to give birth to Jesus and she's worshiping God. Did you ever notice what she said in Luke 1 verse 53? He has filled the hungry with good things. In other words, the poor people that had nothing, he fills them up to overflowing. But look at the end of verse 53. And the rich he hath sent empty away. That doesn't mean poor people go to heaven and rich people go to hell. That's not what we're talking about here. We're simply saying this, that those who realize God is all they have find in God all that they need. Vance Habner said it this way, when Jesus is all you have, you find out he's all you need. But as long as you think, I got this. Any other fixers in the room? I'm just curious. Any people like to fix things? We think we're smart, don't we? we're not there's got to be a YouTube video here somewhere that tells me how to fix this and I'm going to tell you what God lets you do did you know God has an amazing way of letting all the air out of your bubble sure he does and God will just go and some of you I have no idea who I'm preaching to this morning some of you right now you're at a place with your family with your life with your own thoughts and emotions with your future look you can't figure it out and you can't fix it I want to say congratulations you're almost there because God in his grace is reminding you how desperately you need him cares what everybody thinks cares what you can produce who cares what somebody says what does God know to be true about your life you want to know why Jesus came turn over a couple more pages still in Luke right look at Luke chapter 4 Jesus starts his ministry look at Luke 4 verse 18 he quotes from Isaiah and says the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me please don't miss this to preach the gospel to the what? Does that mean he didn't want rich people to go to heaven? Again, it's not material. He's looking for the people who've come to the end of themselves. The gospel 
to the poor. Look, not poor-spirited. <laughs> we're not talking about people that mope around. You know any poor-spirited people? That's not what we're talking about. Poor in spirit. People who in their spirit have come to the place where they recognize that they have nothing and that they desperately need God. Years ago, an old Bible teacher by the name of Frank Sells, who's kicking up gold dust in glory now, said to me, be grateful for everything God uses to humble you. And he was right. Pastor, this sounds strange. I... I, I preach in churches every week and, and almost every day of my life. And I must tell you, from a human standpoint, I love sitting on the front row when you just you feel like you got something to say and, and you're ready to say it and you physically feel good and your mind is clear and you're just ready to get up and speak. I mean, I like that. And increasingly, God has not let that be my experience. In fact, I've noticed in recent days, more and more sitting on the front row of a church thinking, dear Lord, I can't speak today. My mind is not clear. My body feels weak. Something, Lord, help me. Lord, I need you. And I think that's been God's gift to me. Because, see, you don't need to hear me today. We all need God. Every one of us. Bunch of beggars, dressed up beggars, that's all we are. Pretty proud of ourselves, aren't we? Just a bunch of paupers. Desperate need of God. F.B. Meyer said, when I was a young minister, I thought God's blessings were like wrapped gifts placed on shelves one above another so that the higher a man went in his knowledge of God, the more he could attain to God's blessings. As an old man, he said, I was wrong. God's blessings are like wrapped gifts placed on shelves one below another so that the lower a man goes, the more access he has to God. Who gets the blessing? The beggars do. Here's the second question. What is the blessing? That's a legitimate question. Well, look at the verse. Look at the end of the verse. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is, it's amazing, the kingdom of heaven. Do you understand what he just said? He just said the beggars get the whole kingdom. The Bible says the kingdom of God is within you. It's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now, there's a future There's a future tense application to this. We're talking about heaven someday and the Lord's rule on this earth. That's what the kingdom of heaven typically represents. So there's something we're looking forward to in the future. But I'm going to tell you what I've come to believe. I've come to believe that in this very first verse, he is saying to them, I will give you all of the resources of heaven at your disposal right here on earth if you will simply depend on me instead of yourself. Can I tell you what the blessing is? It's not something, it's someone. How on earth could he promise a whole bunch of normal, common, everyday, ordinary people, paupers, the kingdom? Would you like to know? He was offering them himself. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. When you get the king, you get the kingdom. See, see we got a whole bunch of people trying to, to get this need met and this thing figured out and this decision made and this part of their life straightened out. And all on, on. Do, have you lived long enough to realize that never ends? But watch this. If you get Jesus, you get it all. 
all of his holiness, all of his peace, all of his wisdom, all of his grace, all of his mercy, all of God in the person of Jesus Christ when you say, I have nothing, but I will trust Christ to be my everything. Do you know the name Roy Hessian? Anybody in the building know the name Roy Hessian? I know your pastor does. Roy Hessian wrote a classic book. You should find a copy of it and read it called The Calvary Road. Powerful, life-changing book. Roy Hessian actually saw revival. In a certain part of the world where he was serving, they had a, they had a heaven opened up on them. I'm talking about turned the whole place upside down. I'm talking about a real spiritual awakening. Roy Hessian saw revival. A friend of mine heard him preach before he died my friend said to me, it was a conference, and he said Dr. Hessian was up in years and feeble, but he was still full of this Holy Spirit and full of God and had so much to say. In between sessions, my friend was walking through the basement of the church, and he looked over in the corner, and there sat Roy Hessian by himself. He pulled a folding chair over in a corner and was seated with his Bible open in a quiet place, meditating, getting ready for the next meeting. And my friend said to me, he said, I, I hated to interrupt the old fellow. He said, but I knew if I was ever going to shake his hand and say hello to him, this was my chance. He said, so I went over and introduced myself, and he said the old gentleman was so kind and gracious and talked to him about the Lord and spiritual things. And he said, I turned to walk away, and I said to him, Dr. Hessian, do you think America will ever really see revival? He said, Roy Hessian paused for a moment, said nothing. And then my friend said to me, he looked me in the eyes, and this is all he said. He said, when Jesus is enough, then you will have your revival. We've made it everlasting complicated, haven't we, people? You know what's wrong with us? Jesus is not enough to us. Oh, we say he is. We sing songs, all that I have is Jesus, all that I claim is Jesus, all that I want, all that I need, all that I plead is Jesus. But we don't live that way. No, we live trying to find riches somewhere to meet the need. I say to you, you want revival this week? Or when Jesus is enough? I don't have to preach good sermons to you. You don't have to be impressed with this music group. We don't have to have people standing in the lobby to have a good meeting. You want to have revival this week? Let Jesus be enough to you. Let Christ be everything. Look, when I got saved 41 years ago, I wasn't enamored with anything but Jesus. All I wanted was Jesus. I wanted my sins forgiven. As a 12-year-old boy, when I surrendered my life to God and told the Lord I'd do anything He wanted me to do in my life, look, I wouldn't think about anything. I wouldn't think about all the stuff I was going to accomplish. I was thinking about one thing. I loved Jesus, and the love of Jesus had captured my heart, and I wanted to live for Him and serve Him and make my life count. It was all Christ. I'll tell you when real revival comes, when we get to the place of poverty of spirit and we recognize the riches of Jesus Christ and we get back to letting Jesus be enough to us. One more question and I'll be done. Why? <laughs> Why is it this way? Why has it got to be this way? I mean, wouldn't you think that life would be like, you know, you get a little more and get a little more until finally you arrive, you get there. Why does God let you live? And though you get older, you seemingly still struggle. Why? Why does God keep making this the lesson you have to learn over and over again? Now I just testify, I'm not preaching, I'm testifying, all right? 
I thought after all these years of serving the Lord and training and ministry and preaching and travel and labor and, and Bible knowledge, I thought at some point it was going to get easier. How many of you are with me on that? Instead, I've realized the struggle continues and sometimes intensifies. And I've said to the Lord, Lord, I, I get the principle that I've got to be poor and that, and that you are more than enough. But why does it have to be this way? May I tell you the answer? Because this is the only way that God gets the glory for it. Imagine how full of us we'd be if we could lean on the arm of flesh and live victoriously. And Jesus says you can't have it that way. In fact, you say you want to follow Jesus? You say you want to be a follower of Jesus? All right, well, pick up your cross, get in line behind him, and if you follow Jesus, this is Jesus' way. Let's end with one verse. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 with me for just a moment. This is, this is the way Jesus lived. This is the way Jesus labored. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 9. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. Look at it. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. That though he was what? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Though he was what? Yet for your sakes he became. Mm. Look at the end of verse 9. That ye through his poverty might be rich. Would you underline something? I want you to underline three words. I want you to underline the word through, the word poverty, and the word rich. Look, please. Through poverty to riches. Look, please. Through poor in spirit into inheriting the kingdom of heaven. You said you wanted God's blessing. Now, you, you said that a while ago. Isn't that what you said? The question is, are you willing to humble yourself? and confess you don't have what you need and that Jesus is enough. Probably the most famous invitation hymn in the world is Just As I Am Without One Plea. It was written by a woman named Charlotte Elliott. Charlotte Elliott was raised in a fine home. She, she was a part of a great social group. She was full of herself. She lived filled with riches and social connections. and She thought a lot of Charlotte. Then God touched her body. She got so desperately ill she couldn't get out of bed. They were, they were hosting, she and her family, hosting a fine big social gathering and all she could do was lie on the couch, watch all of them prepare for it. She went from one end of the spectrum to the other. And a man who came by the home, his name was Caesar Milan, looked at Charlotte and he said, Charlotte, do you have peace with God? <laughs> she got offended. People do that sometimes, you know. She just got offended. She basically told him it was none of his business. She couldn't get away from it. For the next couple of weeks, she lived under conviction. She ran, in, <coughs> ran into Caesar Milan again. She said to him, I'm sorry. I got offended by your question, but it was the right question. And this is what Charlotte Elliott said to him. She said, I want peace with God. I want to be right with God. 
But she said, I've been to the place where I had everything, where I was all sufficient and, and needed no one. And now I'm at the other extreme where I feel like I have nothing and I have nothing to offer God. She said, how do I even come to God? And Caesar Milan said, come just as you are. And she did. And 45 years later, this musically gifted woman took out a pen and a piece of paper and wrote those words we love to sing, just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me and that thou bidst me come to thee. I come, Lord, I come. Would you look me in the eye and hear me with your heart? I'm saying to every man and woman in this room, I'm saying to young and old, first-time visitors and charter members, I'm saying to people who are saved and people who are not, what every one of us need today is to come in our poverty just as we are. And when you do, you'll find Jesus is more than enough. And you'll have the kingdom of heaven. Our Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit will say what no preacher can say. And oh God, you will do what no preacher can do. Lift up Jesus in our hearts and draw every one of us to Christ. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.